Hello, everyone. In this episode of I Don't Know Much, I'm going to be discussing traumatic brain injury and brain injury recovery with a practicing physician, Dr. Matthew Galati, who is also the founder of the nonprofit organization Brain Changes Initiative. Matt has a truly inspiring story that led to the creation of Brain Changes, and I am so grateful to have him on the show to help bring awareness to TBIs and the potential of brain recovery. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Please introduce yourself for the audience. Hi, Miranda. Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. Um, As you mentioned, I'm Dr. Matthew Galati. I am a family medicine practitioner. I also work as a hospitalist at Runnymede Rehab Center, uh, which is a rehab hospital. I am the founder of Brain Changes Initiative. And like you mentioned, I do have a very unique story in that when I was in my second year of med school, I actually suffered a traumatic brain injury, which is why this is such a passion for me. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm hoping we could kind of get into that uh, story right away. So we could just start off with discussing kind of their story of your own traumatic brain injury. Yeah, uh, for sure. So it was when I was um, a second year medical student, And I had just finished writing my first semester, second year uh, medical school exams. And I decided to treat myself by going home for the weekend to visit family and friends. So I stayed for the weekend, had a good time. And I planned to leave on the Sunday night um, to drive back to Windsor. I was actually a Western Windsor, uh, Western medical student, um, but I was Windsor campus. Hmm. So uh, I got into the car started driving or sorry, no, I should back up a little bit. So I planned to leave on the Sunday, but the weather conditions were so bad that I was like, you know what? It's probably best if I leave on the Monday Mm -hmm. instead. So, um, woke up in the morning and the weather was even worse. Got into the car. I had a passenger with me and, uh, we started driving on the 401 West and the weather was so bad that the roads were completely covered with a sheet of ice. And there was a detour route off the 401 in Woodstock um, because there was road closures because of the weather. Mm -hmm. And I got onto this detour route. And this is where, you know, my life would forever change. I hit black ice, car spun out of control, hit a tree, rolled up the tree, down the tree, hit my head either on the side of the car or on the side of the tree, um, was knocked into a three-day coma. And the rest was history. Luckily, my passenger, my side had absorbed all the impacts. So my passenger was actually able to get out of the car and call an ambulance. So the fire department came, removed me from the car with the jaws of life. Uh, EMS came, they rushed me to the nearest hospital, which was Woodstock. And it was there where I would lay for an induced induced coma for three days. Wow. That's that's crazy. And to see where you are now after going through all that is truly amazing. Um, and so I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious as to like the exact, uh, brain injury that you suffered in Mm -hmm. terms of like exactly what happened. And then, yeah, if you could maybe let the audience know that. Yeah, for sure. So the, uh, so I had multiple injuries, Mm -hmm. first of all, so it wasn't just my brain injury. I had Um, multiple skull fractures. I had seventh cranial nerve palsy. So I damaged a nerve in my face. So 
Um, I couldn't move half my face for months and months and months. It looked like I had a stroke. The nerve actually regrew a millimeter a day. I collapsed both of my lungs. I uh, fractured almost every single rib. Um, so it was ex very extensive, mm -hmm. but yes, I had a, a bleed inside my brain and that was at the level of, so there's different levels in your brain. Like there's different um, sheaths or coverings and mine was at the, innermost layer which is the the subarachnoid layer wow so i had a summer subarachnoid hemorrhage wow um which is a bleed inside the mm -hmm. brain and specifically where the bleed occurred it was between my understanding and speech center of my brain so those are called wernicke's and broca's area respectively Mm, those sound very familiar from mm -hmm. these uh, psychology classes that I've taken. Um, and so from what I understand, there's like this bubble of acquired brain injuries. And then yeah. from acquired brain injuries, you can have a traumatic brain injury, which is like um, what happened to you. And then a non-traumatic brain injury. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Um, can Do you mind? Do you know like the difference between the two and like how the different effects on the brain or anything like that? So, um, so there's, there is a like... Uh, traumatic brain injury and there's non-traumatic brain injury. They're all lumped under kind of an umbrella term called acquired brain injury. Mm -hmm. And acquired brain injury is just a fancy term for saying a brain injury that you weren't born with, right? that you sustained at some point throughout your life. Mm -hmm. And the difference between traumatic and non-traumatic brain injuries is it's kind of intuitive. It's in the name. So Traumatic brain injury is an impact that's actually, or um, an injury that's actually caused by an impact to the okay. skull or to the brain uh, versus a non-traumatic brain injury, which is um, an, an injury that can be caused by lack of oxygenation to the brain, okay. it can be caused by, um, you know, a toxin to the brain, it could be caused by infection, mm -hmm. uh, even a stroke uh, can be oh, okay. considered um, a brain injury that's not traumatic. Right. Okay. Cause I guess when I hear the word traumatic, I'm like, well, wouldn't all brain injuries be, um, I guess, traumatic on some level, but that makes a lot of sense, the distinction on how I guess you acquire it. Um, but so you actually finished medical school, so you're a practicing, um, physician, which is amazing. And so how, like, could you kind of explain your recovery process of your brain injury? So you said that you were in a coma for three days, you got out of the coma and then what kind of happened from there? What were some like key aspects of your recovery? Yeah. So basically when I woke up from the coma, I had many, many difficulties. I first of all, couldn't walk, couldn't talk. Yeah. I had to pretty much relearn everything from scratch, you know, including how to tell time, it was like literally starting from infancy mm -hmm. uh, back to adulthood. And as I mentioned, I was in my second year of med school at this time. So the chances of me returning to medicine, everybody was thinking was going to be very, very slim. Mm -hmm. um, and I also had in the very, very acute stages of my injury, I had um, I lacked insight into how bad my injury really was. I thought, okay, I just had a concussion and, you know, I'm going to be back to school next week. It's all going to be good. But that wasn't the case. So from Woodstock Hospital, I was transferred to the ICU in um, uh, London, Ontario. And in London, I spent about a week. And then I was transferred to closer to home at Sunnybrook, a, a neuro step down unit there. And in this neuro step down unit is when I really learned that 
my injury was a lot more severe than I originally thought. Um, I had learned that there was a bleed inside my brain and, you know, there was a lot of difficulties. I started gaining insight into, uh, you know, how the difficulties that I had with memory and speech, as I mentioned, the, the area of my brain that was damaged was, or one of the areas that was damaged, the area where the bleed was, there's also damage to the brain caused by like, um, the actual impact itself and, and the brain jeering back and right. forth inside the skull. But it's, it was also the place where I started to number one rehab because my family was very, very supportive and they were constantly bringing me material to stimulate myself. So reading material books to read, um, crossword puzzles. My mom was bringing me coloring books to relearn how to color inside the lines. I literally had to relearn everything helping me tell time. They were bringing me flashcards to practice words. And a good friend of mine actually came to the hospital and she brought me a book, which became very, very important during my recovery. And that book was called My Stroke of Insight. And it was all about the author's recovery from a very, very severe stroke. And she actually returned back to a professional life uh, she was like a, I think a PhD psychologist and it took her seven years, but she fully recovered. So from this book, I didn't know how long it was going to take me, but I, I learned that recovery from something so traumatic to the brain. And as a stroke is not a traumatic brain injury, but as you mentioned, yeah. you know, it is, it is traumatic yeah. to the brain. Um, uh, it was possible. So mm. it gave me a lot of hope and inspiration. So Taking that, um, I, you know, I was, uh, I went home after Sunnybrook for a short period of time. And then I was admitted to Toronto rehab, uh, which was where my inpatient rehab began. And at Toronto rehab, I worked with all of the allied healthcare professionals mm-hmm. that you would need to recover from something like a brain injury. So the physiotherapist, occupational therapist, speech language pathologist, psychologist, they're all helping me to kind of work through my issues uh, but I was also enrolled in a research study with the CANDIF Chair of Traumatic Brain Injury, Dr. Robin Green. And what this study was all about, it was about intensifying one's rehab. So I was receiving double the therapies that everybody else was receiving on the unit, unless you were part of the study. So double the physiotherapy, double the occupational therapy, all of those therapies were doubled in hopes of returning back to program as demanding mm-hmm. as medicine. And the idea of this um, research study was, you know, it was was very like, you know, if like at the rudimentary level, like if we double this person's therapies, will it improve their their outcome? Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I just figured, you know, more, why would I not give myself more therapy and give myself the best possible chance, right? Um. So also as a part of this research study, I had to write a series of four neuropsychological evaluations. Do you know what uh, a neuropsych is? No, I guess just like seeing how active your brain is like throughout therapy, like as you progress. Kind of. Yeah. So it's basically a test. You don't have to do it in conjunction with therapies, but it's a test and it's a rigorous test. It's like a six hour test where you sit down and test all of your baseline cognitive functions 
uh, your memory, your attention, speed of processing, executive functioning, which is the ability uh, that's like your highest order cognitive function, your ability to plan and organize yourself. Um, and the first neuropsych I wrote was at the end of my stay at Toronto rehab. And it was clear that I was not ready to return back to, to medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, so my inpatient rehab team kind of, you know, they, they tried to like be realistic. They, they weren't discouraging me in any way, but they kind of just broached nicely and said, well, you know, sometimes like you, you've already made a substantial recovery and, you know, you're, you're still probably going to recover a little bit, but uh, you know, a lot of people who were in such like demanding professions, you know, some people tend to change their, their goals right. after suffering an injury like this. So there were some recommendations from my inpatient to my outpatient rehab team. And um, I went home and I worked with my outpatient allied healthcare rehab team and they were amazing. But also because I was in medicine at the time, I kind of knew where to look for information. I wasn't ready to just take, you know, the, the word of, of the doctors right. and, and everybody around me as the word of God. Mm-hmm. So I started sifting through the literature and came across some absolutely vital lifestyle pillars for brain health um, to help with my recovery, to foster the best possible environment for my brain to heal. And we'll get into those a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, basically I structured my own rehab around these pillars. Um, and I, was working with my outpatient allied healthcare team to implement these pillars into Mm -hmm. my rehab with them. So they actually helped me structure this, uh, this outpatient program for myself. That's amazing. I think that something I really admire about your story, um, is just, I really like that. So enrolling in this extra study that like doubled your, um, therapies, I think, is really important to also spread the word about because a lot of people wouldn't be perceptive to even participating in something like that in terms of like a, a study, um, like a research study. I just feel like, like, I don't, I maybe in the, in the specific case, it wouldn't be as much of a question, but I just feel like hearing that, Oh, like participating in these studies can be really beneficial and have positive effects. Um, And so I think that that's something that was really cool or even just participating for them to learn more, I think is something that I really enjoy about um, your recovery process and showing that this research is here for a reason and it's working. And I just thought that was um, really cool that taking the initiative to participate in something like that, as well as the fact that you're doing your own research, because I feel like, yeah, like it might not in some specific cases, you might not be inclined to do that, but yeah, I just think that that's really a really interesting part of your story and to show that how hard you worked and where you are today. Thank you. And I really have to credit, uh, you know, Dr. Robin Green's study in the inpatient setting, because if it wasn't for that, that study showing me that, or kind of guiding me down a path of intensifying my rehab, I basically mm-hmm. took that concept, took it home and intensified my own rehab yeah. around my, these pillars of a brain wellness that I had researched. Yeah, that's, that's so amazing. I think that that's, that's so, yeah, that's so important. Um, all of, so you doing this, participating in the study and kind of fostering your own rehab 
uh, protocol, Mm -hmm. I guess, is kind of like, so if someone suffered a similar injury and isn't in the same place, like this is kind of like where you took initiative and where these kind of outcomes of where you are today kind of came from. Exactly. And I always tell, I actually just gave a talk yesterday to some current Lindhurst patients. So that's the the spinal cord unit or Mm -hmm. um, uh, their spinal patients. Right. And there were, I gave a very similar presentation and I just gave them two take-home messages. And one of which was be your own best advocate. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, nobody is going to care about your situation as much as you are, you know, of course, listen to the doctors. They have tons Mm -hmm. of knowledge, tons of insight. They've treated many of these conditions, but it's incumbent on you as the patient to put in that extra work to go home, do all of your own research, to intensify your rehab as best as you possibly can to improve your recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that's a really important message to, to put out. It puts the power back into the hands of the patient. Yeah. To hear that and to see someone who has gone through it and is doing amazing. Like, I think that that's so inspiring and um, to hear it right from them is probably very beneficial. Um, But so how did, so then, so you, you go, went through all of this and then I guess you led to the creation of brain changes initiative. So can you tell us a bit more about kind of how it led there um, and a bit more about what you guys do? Yeah. So, well, I guess before we go into that, I should mention what the the five pillars are. Uh, so, yeah. So through my my research, what I learned was there was there was. Let me backtrack a little bit. There was another very very important book that I read um, in the outpatient setting, and it, this really became my bible during recovery. And it was a book called Spark: The Revolutionary New Science of Exercise in the Brain, hmm. and up until this point, from all of my med school training, I was with the understanding that the brain is a fixed organ. There's no potential to create new brain cells to for the brain to adapt, change. Um, you know, the the common this was eight years ago when the brain was still very poorly understood. Not that it's like vastly understood even now, mm-hmm. but the common dogma of thought and and the treatment in med school was kind of what you're born with is what you die with in terms of brain cells. And like I mentioned, there's, you know, you can't create new brain cells. So this book, um, I don't even remember how I came across it, but it just struck my, my eye when I was, um, in Indigo one day, Mm -hmm. bought it, went home, started reading it. And the book is very interesting because, so it's written by a medical doctor, Dr. John J. Ratty, but it, it starts off less medical. It starts talking about a um, school district on the outskirts of Illinois, and there's nothing remarkable about the school district. It's not like the students in the school district were any smarter than students in other school districts. It's not like they pumped more money into this particular school district. The one thing that was different, though, was that they completely revamped their physical exercise program, their phys ed program, such that all of their students would exercise rigorously at the beginning of the day before starting their classes in order to prime the brain for learning. Hmm. And the the fascinating thing about this, this school district was that after implementing this 
this new phys ed program, they scored on international standardized testing, number one in the world in science and number six in the world in math. Wow. Yes. And then that's amazing. Yeah. And the book goes on to talk about the positive benefits of aerobic exercise on the brain, including its ability to create new brain cells through a process called neurogenesis. Um, up, uh, it upregulates all the hormones inside your brain that improve mental processing, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, increases blood flow and oxygenation to the brain. It's anti-inflammatory to the brain. The, the positive impacts of aerobic exercise on the brain is, you know, through the roof. Wow. And yeah, and the, the, so this book um, touched on, or didn't, it was all about a, a new concept to me, at least at the time, mm-hmm. I'd never heard about it, and it was called neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ab- ability to change, reroute, adapt, rewire. So you could imagine how exciting it was yeah. for me to hear about this concept of neuroplasticity because as I mentioned to you before I was under with the understanding that the brain was a static organ. Mm-hmm. So suddenly this kind of gave me a whole different perspective and gave me a lot of hope that I could heal myself. So I took this concept and literally ran with it. So I began running five kilometers every morning in order to prime my brain to learn. And then I also learned that it's not enough just to create new brain cells. You have to fill mm-hmm. those brain cells with meaningful information. So I would stimulate my, after running in the morning, I would go home. I suffered cognitive fatigue. So I would take a short little rest and then I would start my cognitive exercises for the day. And I really tried to stimulate my mind in any possible way that I could. I tried to cover all my bases. For example, I took up uh, the guitar for fine motor control I started golfing, which is a non-contact sport for gross motor control. So reviewing all my med school, school notes that I had missed to practice my memory and attention skills. I was doing, reading lots of books. So uh, those are two of the pillars that I had researched. And then there's, there's also other pillars as well that uh, we could get into if we have time, uh, such as mindfulness meditation, which allows you to your brain to focus on the present and um, it kind of allows you so you're you're not your brain isn't perseverating on the past and room and uh, worrying about the future it's focused on the present and you're better able to create new pathways in your brain uh, so it actually you know helps with learning and with neuroplasticity mm-hmm. and I also research did a lot of research around foods that I should be eating and kind of structured a diet plan for myself uh, and I learned about this immense uh, gut brain connection. And oh then, my God. Yes. I love the gut brain connection. <laughs> very, very exciting. And I think yeah. it's changed medicine. Yeah. I, I, a lot of the school research I've done this past year was about um, the gut microbiota and its connections to the brain. And so just this whole gut brain axis. And I worked in a lab that um, was dealing with um, bacteria and antibiotic resistant. And this was something that they were just starting to look into and just everything, the research on it is fascinating and it's still, it's still developing. So I was just that, that really struck a chord because there is this huge connection. Yeah. We could talk about it one, but I should mention before we, we go any further that, the last, um, the last pillar, it's kind of two pillars that 
are lumped into one. So it's adequate sleep. And I was a terrible sleeper. Mm. Um, I was always kind of a night owl. And that was the time when I was, I felt that I was most creative. So I would do all my work late at night, but um, sleep is when you consolidate your memory and, you know, it's important for healing for both the brain and the guts. So Mm. um, I really had to focus on sleep hygiene in order to properly heal my brain. And uh, the the last part of the last pillar is uh, limiting harmful exposure. So those mm. are things like limiting alcohol, yeah. uh, limiting, you know, not smoking, avoiding, um, you know, recreational drugs. But all, those are like the common things that people know and, and understand not to do. It's just kind of common sense that's been mm-hmm. ingrained in people's minds forever. But there's also less well-known toxic toxic exposures like um pesticide exposures which pesticides are themselves um neurotoxic to a lot of the insects that they target which is Mm. why they kill those insects right so in large doses and and you know very very little research has been done on cumulative low dose exposure of these of uh pesticides which we Mm -hmm. would get by consuming you know crops and and uh fruits that are, are high in pesticide exposure. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes. And, and I was kind of doing this, that pillar, I kind of learned more about after the fact, but I was in retrospect, still limiting my harmful exposures organically because my sister was actually in natural foods at the time and was mm-hmm. bringing me a lot of products to use both personal products and, you know, foods to eat, that were, you know, more natural, organic, low in pesticides. So uh, in, in retrospect, it's, it, it helped with my recovery, mm-hmm. fostering that environment that is good for the brain to heal. That's amazing. So you started off with this aerobic exercise and then learned, I guess, more about the um, other pillars of brain health. And so that kind of um, fostered your recovery, I guess, for um, the rest. And so is that correct? Yep. So I could summarize it in a very brief way. So physical exercise uh, creates new brain cells. Cognitive exercise fills new brain cells with meaningful information. Uh, Foods that you eat can either be inflammatory or anti-inflammatory to the body. So you have to foster, um, you know, a healthy gut brain connection by um, putting foods that are more anti-inflammatory into your body. Um, you have to focus on mindfulness meditation because that allows you to focus on the present and, um, you know, kind of allows you to focus on creating new neural pathways. Sleep is important to heal both the gut and the brain and then limiting harmful exposures to provide your brain with the best possible healthy environment to heal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. And so then I feel like uh, the listeners would be very curious to know, it's kind of how you returned to med school because you're a practicing physician. How did, what was that process like um, kind of going back into that? Mm-hmm. So basically after um, it was about eight months after the initial time of my motor vehicle accidents, it was after about, you know, a few months of undergoing my own rigorous outpatient mm-hmm. protocol uh, I had returned to, or actually it was six months after my motor vehicle accident. I had returned to Toronto rehab to write my second neuropsychological evaluation. Okay. And the results were very impressive. I was above both the 
brain-injured and standardized population for the same age and education level. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this was very exciting to me. And I figured, you know, in theory, I'm ready to return back to medicine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it wasn't that easy because, as I mentioned, this was a time when we didn't understand the brain fully. Mm-hmm. and actually not a lot was known about the brain. And also um, the unfortunate thing about where my accident occurred was it was Woodstock. And then I was transferred to an ICU in London. And I was, as you remember, um, a, a Western medical student. So my, my medical school was in London and suddenly all of the profs that were my mm-hmm. teachers and my, my doc, the doctors that were my teachers became my doctors. So they all had access to my medical information, which is dangerous because, um, you know, the, the prognosis wasn't looking good and, right. and they're like, there's no way this guy recovered and is able to return back to medicine. Yeah. So they kind of, they wanted me to rewrite all of my medical school exams that I already passed. Um, and ultimately, you know, there was a, a meeting before returning and I had agreed to write, rewrite one exam to prove to them that I was ready to, to go back to medicine. Mm-hmm. And so I chose the hardest exam of second of uh, second year, first semester, which I had already passed. And what exam um, was that? Arts, Just curious. Oh, uh, obstetrics and gynecology. Cool. Cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, my mark actually improved by 10 to 15%. Wow. So they kind of left me alone and, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I went back to successfully complete my medical school training, my residency. Um, and then after residency, I chose to do a fellowship in environmental medicine, which has a strong root in functional and integrative medicine. Do you know what those are? Um, no, basically it's, it's kind of a, a newer concept in medicine as well. And it's, it's more about, treating functional medicine is more about treating a disease or an illness or a condition at the root cause level versus treating symptoms. So okay, um, treating the inflammation in the body versus like giving you um, a medication to mask pain, for example. Right. Okay. Uh, which was very in keeping with how I healed myself of my brain injury. So it, it resonated with me mm-hmm. and then when I graduated in 2019, I had kept in touch with Dr. Robin Green in Toronto Rehab over the years. And uh, they would always ask me, like, what is it that you did that made you have such a great recovery? We, we don't see people um, returning to programs like medicine after suffering such a severe traumatic brain injury. And I would tell them about these lifestyle pillars that I, mm-hmm. I researched and I was a proponent of and about physical exercise specifically and you know the brain and um over the years you know dr green kind of became a proponent of these things and when i graduated in 2019 she said to me well now that you're a a physician why don't we research some of the things that you did to recover and try to change the standard of care that's amazing yeah so we we started research in 2019 um and the it's our eyepiece research so it it stands for intensive physical exercise and cognitive exercise and it's just that it's studying the 
best the the dose of aerobic exercise intensive in combination with intensive cognitive exercise to best heal moderate to severe traumatic brain injury there's a lot of literature out there or there's emerging literature out there in the context of uh, of aerobic exercise in the context of concussion but moderate to severe there's very very literature out uh, mm. there's yeah there's very little literature out there so we're trying to uh bridge the gap there. So we started the brain changes initiative as a way to fund this research initially as a vehicle to fund the research. But as we started, you know, talking about these lifestyle pillars on our social media and through our events, it kind of snowballed into this larger beast where we now serve as an avenue of awareness, education, and support for traumatic brain injury patients, uh, their families, healthcare providers and people who just want to live a brain healthy lifestyle. That's so amazing. Um, I think that uh, from what I know, this is like one of the only organizations that I know that does this and brings awareness to these kind of injuries. So I think that that's so important. And so it just serves as this really great avenue for understanding things and trying to um, achieve different outcomes. And so I think that that, and, and just a support group also. So I feel like that's really amazing. I think something, so you said, kind of trying to change the standard of care. And one thing I remember from your story is that you said that you lacked a little bit of insight on your injury up until like um, a bit afterwards um, when you were transferred to a different facility. And so do you think that kind of improving that transparency between patient doctor is something that you guys are also working on or like, is that even relevant or you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I think that like with brain injury, it's known that like the earlier you get back to exercise and start stimulating your mind, the the better your outcome is going to be. So, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the earlier a patient knows the severity of their injury and the things that they need to do to recover the better. And that's one thing that we're, we are trying to tackle through brain changes initiative to create a completely seamless structured navigation pathway from inpatient rehab with a lot of education for family members and for the patient themselves through to outpatient rehab um, and then back to independent living. And it should be a seamless, what we're trying to do is create like a resource so that patients can say, Hey, this is what I have to do. I, you know, Mm -hmm. I I suffered an injury a traumatic brain injury. I'm going to go to brain changes because they're going to show me what the path is. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to make it easy for people because I really wished that something like this was around when I was recovering from my traumatic brain injury, because if I didn't have such a strong support network, my family is very, very motivated. And, you know, they were always looking for resources and, and ways to help with my recovery. And I was like that too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily I had a medical background, so I knew where to look for information, but if, yeah. if I didn't, and I didn't have such a supportive family, you know, a lot of patients kind of fall between the cracks because they don't know where to find resources. Right. And there's not a lot of stories out there. Like people aren't coming out of the woodworks, at least when, when I was recovering, um, you know, I was desperately searching the internet for examples of people who had made uh, great recoveries from traumatic brain injury and return back to uh, a professional school or professional life. And mm-hmm. I could find very few examples. So I personally hope to be that example for yeah. other people. 
Yeah. And I think it's working. I mean, it's this huge resource that I know, I mean, me and everyone I know is aware of. Um, and you guys also provide a lot of opportunities for people that do not suffer from traumatic brain injury to also be involved um, yeah. and learn. And so I think that that's also really cool because it just helps spread the word. Um, but so what kind of like things do you guys do? I know you have, so we can talk a bit about your runs and then I know you have brain banter, which is kind of like a, a show. And then I know you also do some webinars. So do you want to maybe expand on like some different things that you guys have going on? Yeah. So Basically, in order to what we figured was that in order to change the standard of care, you have to tackle it on multiple fronts. You mm -hmm. have to change it at the community level. So as you mentioned, we uh, preach the same message to not only brain injured patients, but people who don't have a neurological disease or a traumatic brain injury, um, you know, to just the community at large, mm -hmm. because most of the, you know, the late person doesn't know that the brain has this immense, immense potential to yeah. change. So we're trying to make that common knowledge. So as you, you mentioned our runs, we host um, our Sunday runs through High Park, uh, which is our, our run for neurogenesis. So it serves as a medium to spread awareness for the positive effects of aerobic exercise on the brain. And we have uh, some amazing team members that come out, such as yourself, and uh, we actually have, uh, you know, our, our hype man, Mariano, and he mm -hmm. kind of runs around with a camera and, you know, over the course of the run kind of educates people and says like, we are, he drives this message home. We are, you know, we are running to elevate the heart rate because aerobic exercise creates brain cells. Mm -hmm. So it kind of serves as a, a weekly reminder that, you know, you know, living a brain healthy lifestyle extends beyond healing and acute injury. It's something that we should all integrate into our life in order to thrive mentally, cognitively, and, um, and phys physically throughout mm -hmm. our existence. Right. Mm -hmm. So we actually have our national launch this Sunday coming up. So because there was so much interest in what we were doing last year with the runs, there's been interest across the country for everybody. That's to amazing. Yeah, it is. It's really exciting. Actually. Um, there's been, yeah, small groups across the country that have wanted to start their own brain gains run. So we have a national launch this Sunday. So if for the listeners, please come out. Uh, it's going to be really, really fun and exciting. And we're also using it as a fundraising platform to raise money for this vital research around um, changing a brain. So that that's the community level. And I should also mention that the way the run started was it just started with me and, you know, the hype man, Mariano, mm -hmm. uh, and we would just do runs through high park wearing superhero costumes. And it oh, kind of, <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. It was really fun. It kind of just caught fire and mm -hmm. more and more people started coming out. So that's the community level. And then we also, uh, to change the standard of care, you also have to, you need, buy-in from the medical community and right. you know, they have to adopt your message and start, you know, learning about your message. So we host, uh, we just finished a webinar series with uh, OBIA, the Ontario Brain Injury Association. And basically what the, the webinar series was, it was directed towards healthcare providers. And each week it was a different presenter that was basically uh, presenting research and information around individual pillars of, of brain health. Um, so that's 
one way that we get our message out to the medical community um, and, and the allied healthcare community mm-hmm. in order to, to help change practice. And then in order to change the standard of care, of course, you have to change, you have to evoke change within the research. So right. we also have research going on, as we mentioned before. So those are just a few of our, our initiatives. And we yeah. also have just fun community events because mm-hmm. uh, we really enjoy um, spending time with our community and we love you guys. So you know, COVID is kind of through a wrench in a lot of the, the bigger events, but, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully when things start to open up a bit, we'll be able to have uh, some galas and, and oh, fun yeah. I think people would really enjoy that and and we'll just want to get out of the house and do anything and live a brain healthy lifestyle. I think that's something that's really good about this is that anyone can just want to start taking on these practices um, of the five pillars of brain health. And so I think it's so important to just drive the message that these will help your brain in any capacity. Um, and so I think that that's really cool too. And I had, I honestly doing the runs last year, I just feel so silly. I'm like, I should have been like reading books after that and doing stuff. And so I'm going to start doing that this year. <laughs> so I'm very Absolutely. excited. A, yeah. Important. Yeah. Um, but speaking of books and this is kind of off track, but have you ever thought about writing a book? with this story, I'm just curious because I know that you've done a lot of different podcasts um, and you have a really inspiring message. And I think that the five pillars are super important. And I don't know if that you can really find that as a whole anywhere else. And I'm just, I'm just curious if you've ever thought about writing a book. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I would love one day to have my story written. Um, you know, I would, I would write it myself, but I don't know if I have the time. Um, yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love, I would be very open to having my story published. And I think, you know, not not for my own personal glory, but more to help other yeah. people. Because the more people that this message reaches, I think that it could help a lot of people. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think the fact that you're just trying to change the standard of care in the system itself is really important in step one to like actually facilitating this type of recovery in all patients. So that's super amazing. But yeah, so I I just kind of wanted to bring up, I remember in some of your other podcasts, you mentioned like, like our cold showers beneficial for the brain and like, what are the foods that we should be eating? And just like little, little tips, if anyone like wants to just start living a brain healthy lifestyle right now. Yeah. So cold showers, um, there, there is a lot of health benefits to it. Um, just at the very, very simplest rudimentary level, like um, in terms of brain health, it's good for mental health. Uh, it's okay. actually shown to help with depression and anxiety. Uh, it actually has been shown to, to help with sleep and it's anti-inflammatory. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, like for sure, not a lot of people knew that it was good for mm-hmm. mental health. And but the anti-inflammatory component, I think that of all things kind of makes made the most sense to me. Like, you know, um, when you when you injure your ankle, you put ice on it. Right. Right. Yeah. Because it reduces inflammation. Right. Um, and then in terms of foods that you should eat. So let me uh, what do you know about the, the gut brain connection? So a lot of the research I've done is kind of looking at the connection between neurotransmitter levels and the gut. Um, and so like, I know the gut bacteria has been found to 
produce a lot of serotonin and things like that. And so I think looking at that connection is really, um, is, is the biggest thing that I've been looking at for like generalized anxiety disorder and depression and seeing like the, the gut levels related to, um, the, like the bacteria that produce serotonin, like what those are like in those types of patients. So that's kind of like what I, I know. I just know that it really influences the neurotransmitters in our brain. And so like starting with gut health and like probiotics and prebiotics, um, was just something I've kind of been looking into. Nice. So yeah, that's, that's all you're right there. Like the, the gut microbiota is like mm-hmm. an organ in and of itself. It's yeah. incredible. Um, but just like the gut brain connection in general, number one, there's like direct evidence of this connection between the longest nerve in the body, the vagus nerve, which creates okay. our rest in, and uh, digest response. And then also cortisol, which is a hormone that's released by our uh, adrenal glands and the brain actually sends signals down to the adrenal glands and tells the adrenal glands to release cortisol. And that's our stress hormone that has downstream effects on the gut itself. Right. Um, right. And so what cortisol actually does is it, um, it causes gut dysbiosis, which is just a a fancy term for saying that the gut isn't functioning the way it should. So mm-hmm. it actually um, widens the junctions in between our gut cells and makes it more permeable such that inflammation can then pass from the guts into the bloodstream and then around the body. Right. And with traumatic brain injury that, you know, in and of itself causes uh, increased gut permeability and also increases the permeability of your blood brain barrier. Oh. So inflammation that passes it from the gut to the bloodstream can then directly impact the brain. Wow. Right. So um, the microbiota is, is very, very important because it mediates this gut brain connection, but it's mm-hmm. also mediated by the gut brain connection. And it's mm-hmm. also influenced by the foods that we eat. Mm-hmm. So I kind of break it down eating for gut health into like four main points. So number one, we have to feed the healthy uh, bacteria in our gut. So there's both unhealthy and healthy bacteria, right? And you want to maintain a good balance. Um, So those are eating foods that are more prebiotic, like uh, bananas. Do you know any other prebiotic foods? So is yogurt a probiotic? Yogurt is a probiotic. It has, it contains bacteria. Prebiotics are the foods that feed the healthy bacteria. Oh, okay. No, I don't know many of those. I know I'm I'm mainly, I just know the probiotics. Yeah, so like onions, garlic. Oh. Yeah. Um, um, I think uh, artichokes are as well. Oh. Um, Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and, and fibrous foods, right? Mm. Fibrous foods are prebiotic and feed, feed the healthy gut. So, um, you have to feed the healthy, uh, microbiome. Mm -hmm. And then you also have to eat foods that are brain supportive. So, you know, omega threes, cold water, fatty fish that are good for both the gut and for the brain. Um, a plant-based diet. It's no surprise that in 2019, our uh, can of food guide completely revamped and it was, it's now more plant-based than it's ever been in the past. 
what the um, the Canada Food Guide says now is that we should half of our plate should be vegetables, mm-hmm. and specifically green leafy vegetables are the the most supportive um, type of va- vegetable for the brain, and actually have been shown to uh, prevent cognitive decline. Oh wow! So that's like spinach, kale, like those types of greens. Yeah, cool. exactly. And so in addition to eating foods that are brain supportive and more Mm anti-inflammatory, we have to limit foods that are pro-inflammatory and and feed the unhealthy bacteria in our gut. And those are things like refined carbs and sugars. Okay. So that's my spiel on diet. Very simple. Yeah. I think that's hard though, because the refined it's, it's, it's definitely difficult because the refined carbs and the sugars are like, so I think prominent in so many people's diets. Um, but then switching, you feel so much better. And then when you go back to those, it, you, it feels a lot worse. You know what I mean? Like that one cheat day, like you, you really takes a toll on you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, speaking from like a personal, I have, um, an uncle who had rheumatoid arthritis and he completely changed his diet to only incorporate vegetables. And so rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disorder that like affects the joints and stuff. And it's like a really, um, inflammatory response. And so when he switched to vegetables, like only eating vegetables and like a plant-based diet, it was like miraculous, like his inflammation didn't go away, but it was like significantly less um, than when he was like eating even meats and stuff. And so um, I thought that was really interesting and just like a, a direct example of like, I I've seen, I've seen it work. And so it really is beneficial. Well, it's, it really speaks to, I mean, anything that we put in our body is either pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory. Right. Mm -hmm. And Western medicine, I mean, the amount of you go to your doctor and you expect your diet to be your doctor to be a diet expert, but in truth, and this is coming from a Western medicine doctor, um, the amount of uh, knowledge that we get through medical school around diet or teaching around diet is next to nothing. Um, And it was only through my own experience and through my functional medicine training that I started to learn about Mm -hmm. these things. Right. And it's no fault of Western medicine. Western medicine is, is very focused on evidence-based medicine. And mm-hmm. unfortunately it's hard to do, um, you know, rigorous research around diet because it's hard to double blind yeah. subjects, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, as to what they're putting into their bodies and not just that, you know, there's also a lot of these big multi-million dollar trials for, you know, um, studies are funded by drug companies, yeah. right? And, you know, they're unfortunately not going to uh, be compensated for, for diets, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, you kind of have to take those things into consideration and, and uh, take research with a grain of salt because right. there is bias, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so like with the food, I remember you were talking about you did a, a fellowship where you did integrated medicine. And so is that something like also like integrating the kind of food and diet changes as well as the Western medicine side, like kind of like the natural medicine as well as um, Western medicine? Like, is that Absolutely. kind of a part of integrated medicine? I'm curious. Yep. It's kind of, it's, it integrates a more holistic approach into um, into your practice for sure. 
So cool. it is kind of like a mix of holistic medicine and um, and Western medicine. And by holistic medicine, people, holistic doesn't mean lack of evidence. It just mm-hmm. means treating the body as a whole. And, you know, it's, it's less so system focused. So, you know, you have gut problems uh, or you have brain problems. Again, it's not that we're just going to treat the brain as an isolated organ. We're going to treat the body as a whole uh, Mm -hmm. because all of your organs are intimately connected and it's treating at the root cause level. So yeah, less about symptom management more about how do we treat the the underlying processes that are actually causing the inflammation and and uh, and disease or condition. Right, and we know that that can also that can start with diet as well, which exactly. is which is really cool. Yeah, awesome. Okay, well, you spoke a lot about what brain changes does in your story, and that 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 was so amazing. So thank you so much for that. Um, I definitely learned a lot in this conversation, and I'm very excited to share this episode with everyone because I think other people will too. And so thanks so much for being here. Can't wait to see all the amazing things that Brain Changes continues to do. And I'm very excited to start running and participating with your group again. It's going to be a great rest of the summer. Um, So do do you have like any final words for the audience? And like, maybe you want to tell them where they can reach you or reach Brain Changes and how they can get involved if they're interested? So yeah, you could find us on Instagram at Brain Changes. And our website is brainchanges.org. If you are interested in coming to our runs and joining our community, please just come to High Park. We meet at nine o'clock on Sundays uh, at High Park at the entrance to High Park. Now we'll, we usually have a big brain cha- brain gains, which is what we call our runs flag up at the, uh, the entrance to High Park. So you can't miss us. If you want, if you're interested in helping out or getting involved in, with the organization, please email info at brainchanges.org. And we're happy to uh, bring anybody on board who's interested in this message. And I just want to mention that our runs are more than just a run. Yes, we, we run and the whole routine of running that we do or exercise routine is built around elevating the heart rate. So it's a run intermixed with plyometric uh, hit exercises. So we stop every one to two K to uh, pump out a set of burpees or push-ups, and everything is designed to elevate the heart rate, which is what creates brain cells. It's called aerobic exercise, but we also try to integrate all of the pillars into the runs. So we have, we frequently have mindfulness after the runs. So meditation, yoga, um, and then the, we also try to implement kind of brain healthy snacks into the runs through, we frequently have brain healthy sponsors that give us, uh, you know, some snacks or supplements for our, our athletes during the runs. It's hard to implement sleep into the run. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but afterwards you'll be really tired (laughs) yeah Yeah. awesome thanks everyone for listening um join us next episode stay safe stay smart and see you next time thanks miranda 